Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Episode 208 on the docket here for us. And I think for the first time in podcast history, we have a doctor in the house. Dr. Eric Warren of General Motors and Chevrolet. His title is far too long to uh, recite and uh, explain, but no worries for you. He explained it and uh, recited it pretty well to me in this interview. So excited for you guys to hear that chat. We get into a lot as Chevrolet has already clinched three manufacturers championships in Xfinity, Trucks, and Cup heading into the last race of the season where they have two horses in each series gunning for the owners and drivers championships. So Happy to have Dr. Warren on the show with us today to discuss that and his career, which is a very, very interesting one. Background in aerospace and aerodynamics, engineering, the whole nine yards. He is, uh, as I told him, probably the smartest person that we've had on the show, uh, maybe ever. And uh, I'm glad that he gave us some of his time. Before we do any of that, and we will also obviously chat about Martinsville, Ryan Blaney, the championship four, all that good stuff. Got to pay homage to another name from years past and years gone by in the world of NASCAR. And I believe Papa Siegel's Wayback segment this week pays homage to somebody that has a connection to Chevrolet, General Motors, Hendrick Motorsports, and the like. Take it away. Thank you, Duke, and welcome everyone to episode 208. Today, we take a look back at one of NASCAR's greatest engine builders, taken from us too soon. Most of the focus of our Wayback Lens is on great drivers, but those wheel men and women would be the first to say that all the driving talent in the world and the greatest handling cars in the world won't get you very far without a great engine. We've touched on some of the great engine builders in NASCAR, even if only in passing. Men like Smokey Eunuch, Maurice Petty, Ernie Elliott, Waddell Wilson, and Robert and Doug Yates. Another name on the short list of great NASCAR engine builders was Randy Dorton. Dorton began his career in NASCAR in the 1970s, working for legendary crew chief Harry Hyde. By the 1980s, Dorton had developed a reputation for building some of the best engines available. His company, Competition Engines, ultimately was bought out by Rick Hendrick in 1984. Two years later, Dorton was named Engine Builder of the Year by NASCAR. Dorton and his engine division at Hendrick became the preeminent in-house motor shop in NASCAR. His motors guided Hendrick teams to nine series championships, five Winston Cups, one in the Bush Series, and three in the Trucks. In 1997, Dorton served as the substitute crew chief for two-time champ Terry Labonte at Talladega. It was Dorton's only appearance on top of the pit box. 
Labonte jokingly recalled, we won the race and in victory lane, I put my arm around him and said, Randy, you don't know the difference between Castor and Camber, but we had the best engine. No one knows how many additional races and titles that Randy Dorton Power Plants would have won. On October 24, 2004, Dorton and nine others boarded a Hendrick plane heading to Martinsville for the Subway 500. The weather was foggy and the plane crashed into Bull Mountain, killing all on board, including Dorton, Jeff Turner, the general manager and CEO of Hendrick, John Hendrick, Rick's brother, Jennifer and Kimberly Hendrick, John's twin daughters, and Ricky Hendrick, Rick's son, and the heir apparent to the Hendrick Empire. Jimmy Johnson won the race that day, driving a Hendrick car powered by a Randy Dorton engine. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Yes, thank you, Dad. I did not know, admittedly, a lot about Randy Dorton, but I uh, learned a whole heck of a lot right there and definitely has left his mark and a lasting legacy, not just at Hendrick, not just at Chevrolet, but in NASCAR as a whole. So thank you, as always, for that homage and that way back segment. Let's start off this episode as we always do, and that is with a good old-fashioned <laughs> and throw it straight over to our interview with did an air horn and now i'm talking to a doctor dr eric warren of general motors and chevrolet racing big big season for he and the entire organization on the nascar side of things as they have already clinched all three manufacturers championships in trucks xfinity and cup and they still got work left to do not just this season but for years and decades and eons to come so I will get out the way and let you hear the conversation with the doctor who's in the house. It is Eric Warren, and he's in victory lane. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, Dr. Eric Warren, who I believe I have the title correct, but please correct me if I'm wrong, GM Executive Director of Motorsports Competition. It's a mouthful, but did I get it right? That's right. Global right. Motorsports Competition. Global Motorsports Competition. It didn't fit on that one line, but I'll give you that global there. Um so I want to get this out the way first before we get to, you know, Chevrolet and obviously clinching all the manufacturers championships. And you guys have the chance to win the drivers and the owners titles this weekend and all three national series, incredible accomplishment, incredible season. I kind of said it tongue in cheek, but that title is a mouthful and it, it encompasses a lot. So can you kind of dissect that for the normal fan and me, admittedly, what do you do on a day to day basis for GM, for Chevrolet that encompasses your job? So Chevrolet, obviously, in Cadillac, uh, race and, you know, really so many series worldwide. So IndyCar, uh, NHRA, NASCAR, working on getting into Formula One. So all those programs from a competition standpoint and all the resources within General Motors, I manage. So it's really uh, trying to connect racing to, you know, really helping us engineer the, the vehicles better on the racetrack. And so motorsports at GM now is inside the global product development organization at GM. And so, you know, racing really works on virtual technology, simulation, really pushing technology and data and analytics to really compete in uh, the high levels of motorsports. Well, those are the same technologies that GM is using to develop our cars as well. And so, 
you know, a big part of that is trying to take advantage of GM resources to make us more successful on the racetrack, but also using motorsports to help develop people and develop those technologies so we can develop cars faster. So, you know, I'm creating the relationships with the teams, keeping them going, trying to figure out what we need to win, making sure as we've built up uh, staff internally, building up simulation technology, simulators, aerodynamic technologies, really recruiting the best engineers and, and then uh, on a day-to-day basis, trying to help the race teams win. Well, you've won a lot this year, uh, and you you're, you show no signs of slowing down for sure. Like I mentioned, you guys have already clinched all three manufacturer titles in trucks, Xfinity, and Cup. I know that that is one of many goals that you guys have going into any racing season and any series. But as you kind of reflect on that as the NASCAR season comes to a close this weekend, how big of an accomplishment is that for you personally and everybody at GM and Chevrolet to do that, not just in one series, but all three? You know, it's, it's honestly, I'm, I'm really so proud of uh, just GM Motorsports and what we, and Team Chevy as a whole in NASCAR. It takes a lot in each, in each of the series. You know, if we talk about trucks and we look at really the improvement that was made from last year and bringing Cobbish Motorsports over, but you look at the number of organizations that we've won, like all of our, uh, you know, truck teams, there's so many winners, so many organizations. Uh, so it's been, I've been really proud of the effort that all of our teams and and that we've accomplished this year. It, it's a big difference from from uh, last year to this year. So that shows the strengths of, of what we build and really how great our, our race teams are. You know, we're from GMS to KBM, Nice, uh spire a lot of great wins uh so it's been good to see that and then also some of our young drivers and kind of building up that program and you know if you take xfinity uh really exciting to see sam Mayer really kind of coming to his own a little bit towards the end of the year and you know the last several years we've really had tremendous number of wins and in Xfinity, and it's and it's it's hard to explain to, to to people how difficult it is to do that year after year. And uh, you know, and an OEM can have a really good season, a really good sequence of uh, races, drivers. You know, whether it's the rules that that year or the era package or or whatever. Uh, but we've been able to really you know consistently win a tremendous number of races in uh, in Xfinity. Um, I think we won what 17 even this year and last year was it was in the 20s and so you know incredible to keep that going um and then you, you go to cup again i think the last three years we've won uh a, more than 17 races if you look at the number of races that we've won and and uh i think since october of 2020 um chase won championship kyle won championship mm-hmm. and really uh seeing it mature how all the the team Chevy organizations work together and again, how we've, how we've built it up. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm just more proud of, of, of all the relationships and everybody working together uh, as I am, as I am anything, but it's, it's just uh, exciting to be a part of. It's something I hope we can continue every, every season, but you know, it's difficult. The competition's getting closer and, and then cut with the next gen car. I think we, kind of came out really uh, fast from the very beginning, uh, you know, at the way the car is and the intent of the car is, it becomes more and more difficult to maintain that, that, uh, 
advantage of, uh, as other OEMs have uh, gotten a hold of the car. And the, the competition is just so close. I mean, it's it's uh, it's hard to have any kind of confidence that uh, you know, anybody. You know, we won 17 races this year, and and you go into Phoenix and you like to think that, you know, you, you have confidence, but you look at the four drivers that are in there and, and it's, uh, it's tough. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Although on paper, I will say you got a 50% chance of coming home with a clean sweep. Cause you got two drivers in cup, William and uh, Kyle two in Xfinity with the JRM duo of Justin and Sam and two in trucks with Grant and Carson as well. So I'm not saying, I'm just saying you could come home with a clean sweep. You flip a coin, you're good to go. That's what we want. But, uh, <laughs> That's definitely what we want. It's what, it's what we're pushing for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to your point about the field just being so close together, I mean, this past weekend at Martinsville seemed like first to 30th was quite literally three-tenths apart from each other. And um, it's such fine margins, right? And you have dealt with the finest of margins that probably are humanly possible to be dealing with, uh, being in the aerospace industry. And that's kind of where you had a background in when you were in school, obviously. I'm curious to hear from you. Uh, about that and about that time in your career because he got a PhD in aerospace engineering from NC State I believe it was back in 97 uh, and not to make you feel old but uh, I was one year old when you when you got that degree so not to age you um, but my dad he's huge into um, the NASA and just space in general he loves it so when I told him I was talking to you he was all geeked out what was it like back then dealing with the finest of margins with the technology that you had at your disposal, which is I'm sure vastly different than what it is today. Yeah. You know, I, I tell a lot of people this, I didn't grow up as a race fan. I was, I was, I grew up in North Carolina in Mount Airy, the original Mayberry where Andy Griffith's from, which you won't know what that is most likely, but, uh, I know the show. I don't know much else though, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was very competitive playing sports and so I very much was in the sports, but, uh, I loved kind of computers. I loved kind of airspace and, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but that's kind of when Top Gun came out, the original movie, you know, and so many people were really like wanting to go into airspace and, uh, you know, fighter planes. And so I actually did. So I went on through grad school and NASA Langley helped fund my work in grad school. And I was literally after working on high performance you know, fundamental theoretical fluid physics, hypersonics, all kinds of different uh, things. And really, you know, kind of found a area of computational fluid dynamics where you're simulating all the airflow around uh, vehicles was was really prime research back in the in the 90s and, and way before that at NASA. And so got an opportunity to really work with some of the best researchers in the world and, you know, uh, Happened to meet uh, Michael Cranfus, the team owner of uh, Cranfus Haas, and uh, he used to lead Worldwide Motorsports for Ford. And uh, he just said, you know, hey, when you get ready to get out of school, you call me. And it was uh, never even really considered it. One of my really close friends at Joseph Nunn that, you know, basically got me introduced and it just kind of went from there. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting into racing. And, and honestly, the ability to apply technology still since you know 97 is what's driven me and there's always been opportunity to bring you know aerodynamic technology in it but also all the simulation everything really just it lined up perfectly with my background and you know my 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 regional accent let's call it uh helped <laughs> me uh, in the sport get you know that you know they 
a lot of people would say come in with a PhD aerospace engineering you know you get kind of laughed at but I was able to mix in with the teams and just kind of went from there. Uh, I know that you've probably worked with extensively and continue to work with Alba Cologne of uh, Chevrolet yes. now Hendrick Motorsports. I was listening to her on a different podcast with my uh, compadre Kelly Crandall and she was talking about how she was so interested in the aerospace industry and she wanted to be an astronaut when she was growing up in Puerto Rico. Did you have aspirations to be an astronaut or were you kind of just wanting to do behind the scenes things as it relates to the aerospace industry? Well, when you, when you, aerospace is really can go two routes, a lot of routes actually, but it's the aeronautics route or the space route. I always, you know, even though I was kind of born the same year we went to the moon in 1969, uh, I always tended towards the, the aircraft and the, the high performance aircraft, uh, you know, partially because of just sports and it's kind of just, it's cool, right? Uh, I, I, you know, uh, I love the space side of it. There's a lot of things certainly uh, that cross over, but I've always been more on the aerodynamics side of it. And you mentioned uh, when you got hooked up with Mr. Crenifice with Crenifice House Racing, I believe your first unofficial or maybe official title when you started working in the motorsports industry was chief aerodynamicist. And that was again in, in the late nineties. Was there any other chief aerodynamicists in the NASCAR cup garage or were you kind of one of the first to, to do that? Well, yeah. when I got into it, um, all the, all of, at least in NASCAR, all of the aerodynamics was primarily being supported by the OEMs. And so teams would go say, uh, an OEM had time at, uh, you know, Lockheed at the time, Cramps House was a Ford team. And, and um, you know, you would go there and the OEM would have support people to help run the wind tunnels. And so I, I don't think there were maybe Gary Aker at uh, Hendrick, whether he was at Hendrick at the time or he might have even been at GM at the time. Uh, certainly uh, not very many that were on the teams. And and, and honestly, not, not that many engineers on teams. There were, there were a few in the sport. There were you know, starting to work on, you know, either shocks or data acquisition, or there certainly weren't any engineer crew chiefs uh, that were at, at least not like they are today. Um, so it was, it was, you know, building up really those technologies and actually trying to understand how to apply them at the racetrack and still being a, learning to be a racer at the same time. So uh, certainly, um, you know, a different time period, but, uh, you know, there were a lot, lot more things you could do and bring and unique things and so you know there's golden eras of, of racing you know and uh certainly that was one for nascar for sure it's interesting you say that you were kind of learning how to be a racer because to your point you were very interested in sports growing up but even though you're from the the north carolina area nascar and racing wasn't really something that was on your radar how was the acclimation process to nascar and to motorsports when you first got involved, because a lot of people, they get into it because they've been exposed to it since they were a little kid. But for you, it was a little bit different. I feel like that's a bit unique on your part. You know, when I, when I agreed to take the job in 97, I knew virtually nothing about cars. Like, like that's how, that's how crazy it was. I was, and my advisor in grad school would just, kept telling me I was throwing my education away, the whole thing. So I spent the last three months before I actually defended and and my from a dissertation and came got a job in the library reading every 
vehicle dynamics, handling book, trying to understand all the theory of vehicle dynamics. And yeah, I felt like I could get in there and hold my own on the aerodynamic side, but I was terrified that uh, I could that wouldn't know enough about handling, wouldn't know enough whatever. And uh, once I started, I realized that, you know, people mostly had just tremendous experience. There wasn't a lot of understanding uh, of a lot of the theory and a lot of the things. And so, you know, that inexperience and fear kind of helped me gain a little bit of an understanding of vehicle dynamics to start with. And as time certainly, and still probably, there there haven't been a lot of people that have the aero background and the vehicle dynamics background at the same time. You pretty much got to get in a leadership position to be exposed across, across it. And so, you know, that fear in those few months before I first started kind of helped me understand and could, I could be involved with, uh, you know, uh, I was working with Rusty Wallace soon after that and, and Robin Pemberton and, 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 and sit the racetrack and started talking about camber and tires and what we needed that, you know, I was able to understand and, and learn, learn quickly. I, I've definitely picked it up pretty quick early on. Was there an element of, um, you know, stereotypically, right? NASCAR, good old boys, just racers. And then you quite literally a rocket scientist, like coming in. Was there an element of, of disconnect there of some people saying, hold on a minute. What is this guy who's never been involved with racing in the first place? Know about what I'm doing on the racetrack. Was there a disconnect there at all? Or was it pretty seamless? Oh yeah. To start with, you know, my first day on the job was at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The very first racing place I ever went to was the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So that's kind of the show. You need to work. There, there was a test going on and I remember walking into the garage and, uh, they couldn't wait till I got there. You know, back then everybody was doing all the jokes, running around, getting everybody to run through the garage with all these, uh, going to get long weight and all yep. this stuff yep. that I participated in for a good 15 years after that myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they, I, I remember they threw me the impact gun and they said, uh, here, take this tire off, you know, and, and again, I played sports and all kinds of things. So that was no, no problem. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I blended in pretty well just cause of where I grew up and how I grew up. And, uh, but yeah, it, uh, it, you always have that stereotype and, and, uh, you know, try to, try to not, uh, you know, use it some kind of background and racing. They'll eat you up pretty quickly if you can't actually make something happen. It doesn't matter what your background is. So, uh, unfortunately I was able to, to, to find, find my way into the team. Do you feel like you almost were ahead of the curve a little bit as it pertains to NASCAR and motorsports in general, as, as you look at analytics simulation just technology in general is so vital and so important to the fabric of every single race team big and small especially at Chevrolet with you guys kind of leading the way but again you were doing this before everybody else was and before it was standard and commonplace do you feel like you were ahead of the curve a little bit I certainly was on the front side of the wave let's call it and uh you know that um certain areas certainly CFD uh, computational fluid dynamics that was my that was my backbone. And I was even arguing with a lot of Formula One teams in, in the late nineties about how you need to be doing the CFD. And they were like, no, it'll never, it'll never come into racing. And, you know, and now you look at, I, I would tell everybody, I, you know, I was doing CFD before people could spell it. And, uh, and so, uh, 
you know, that there were a lot of exciting things about it because it was such opportunity. And so certainly uh, being on the forefront of that, and it was just kind of unique. I had a programming background. I was able to do some, some simulation things and uh, you know, it, uh, you know, somebody just said this the other day and I've, I've, I've tried to use it. It's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about, being in the room and, and when you hear somebody give the smartest idea, being able to recognize it. And so uh, I recognize there are a lot of smart people out there that, working at different simulation companies that have worked to get into racing and just really tried to build groups of people that, uh, you know, were able to be successful. And, and, and that's kind of always what I've done is uh, try to just kind of, Make, make sure you can take the stuff and apply it and make the race car go fast because you can't do that. You're not going to have a job. One of the things that you kind of spearheaded that was a very, very smart idea, and I, again, I think kind of ahead of its time was when you were at RCR, and I believe you were the one that kind of helped build and, and come up with the idea of the command center that they kind of have there on their welcome campus now. From the, some of the stuff that I read, you kind of modeled it after what the F1 teams had or have on their pit walls uh, in their pit lane. And now that's a situation and, and, and a tool that not just RCR, but everybody uses as kind of a war room of sorts back at the race shop to help the crew chief and the crew at the racetrack be able to optimize their performance. What went into that situation and that scenario of developing that idea, executing that idea, and then putting that into practice to help manifest itself on the racetrack. Yeah, when I, when I got into uh, NASCAR back in the 90s there uh, with Ford, with, with Penske Cranifus, you know, they, Stewart Grand Prix was the F1 team, Ford had, and I got kind of connected into F1 a little bit, you know, there. Then when I went to Everdam Motorsports, uh, you know, Daimler, Chrysler was Dodge and at Everham and you know at the time McLaren Mercedes F1 was a you know a championship winning F1 team so I was going to testing with them and getting exposed with some of things going on there and they really for, were were just starting to kind of do a a on what they called it maybe an operations center at the time and so I went over during a race and there was one or two people kind of looking at video off the car and then doing different things, trying to analyze data. And I thought, you know, this is a, this is a smart idea and trying to think about. So I always had that idea that, that we need to start doing this in, in um, NASCAR. And so, um, you know, by that time there was a company called uh, the technology people called it Dartfish, but it really like the Olympics. When you see one skier going down and the next guy going, you can see this ghosting and cars sure. ghosting. So it was really more about people sitting up in the stands and taking video and and uh, overlaying the videos to see where the game was. And so we started pushing that. And then over time, uh, you know, we're like, you know, we're we're ready now to be able to communicate with the racetrack a little bit with intercoms and things that we need to have a war room or command center. And so we built it. We started working on the race strategy software, and it took quite a few years. And uh, you know, but honestly, when COVID happened it literally just played right into it because you, you know you already had this had the infrastructure had the had the work there and uh and then again watching f1 teams really start where they they call they call the races in f1 from most of the time from back in another country and so you know seeing that uh really 
was was eye-opening, I think, through COVID of what you could do back in the back at the factory and everybody was having to do it at the time. And so it really just kind of blew up from there. When when COVID hit, to your point, I'm sure that having that command center, we'll call it, was such a valuable resource for you guys at that time. Um, I don't know because I'm not privy to that type of information, but at that point in 2020, did most major teams, specifically on the Chevy side, did they have something like a war room or command center, or was that kind of only proprietary to RCR? You know, uh, it's hard to say. We had it several years before that, and there were a couple different TV shows or something that showed the room. I think a lot of people would have a conference room or they would have a little room. I can't remember when exactly Hendrick Motorsports built their operations room, but around that time period, I would say there, certainly afterwards, but people were starting to have it because, again, it was pretty well known in F1 at the time that people were doing that, but uh, not quite to the scale of what we had jumped in, but certainly soon after that. Uh, what what was, was probably the best advantage is uh, actually having Richard Childress have to sit in there and actually – you know, he was able to talk to Austin or whoever, Ryan Newman, the driver at the time, uh, you know, like he does at the beginning of the race. And him seeing it all happen and all the data that you could see and everything actually, like, motivated him to even push it further. And so there was a lot of a lot of unique things that, you know, when you get adversity, it also opens up opportunities sometimes. I was going to say, RC is probably one of the most traditional old school racers that there is in the entire world. Uh, was it difficult to try to get him on board with an idea like that? Or did you pitch it as RC? Look, we will gain performance from this. Trust me on this. And I guess when you were able to show him proof of concept in real life, he was all on board. You know, it, uh, it took a couple of years to get everybody bought in really. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense at the beginning and you, you know, you try to put some investment in it, but to make it work, it's not just the room. You got to have the tools in there. So they're like the actual race strategy software that we were working on at the time. You know, when we would when we would say, "Hey, they didn't make the right call at the end of the race," or we wouldn't we wouldn't show up fast enough. There was always this conversation. Well, the, we're just the command center's not working, and it's like, well, it's not that. It's actually the software not working. It's not the room. And so it took a little while. It wasn't until probably a couple of years into it where it clicked that uh, it's actually just the combination of everything and the people being able to talk to each other in a kind of a, you know, air conditioned environment. It's not loud. You know, when you're at the racetrack, there are a lot of things that are indispensable. You can kind of see the tires and do some things, but you, you, you waste a lot of time having to go back to the, you know, you're going to the airport, you're going back to the hotel at night, you're doing a lot of things and, and there's a lot more efficiency in some areas doing some of the analysis. And so I think it took a couple of years to kind of see that play out before it really like clicked. Something that uh, did not spare any expense uh, when you talk about going to the hotels and getting rental cars and all that stuff was the GM Technical Center that you guys have built there in the Charlotte Concord area. I think at first it was supposed to be like 75,000 square feet. And I believe now it's upwards towards 130,000 square feet. That undertaking. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's wow. about, it's, we're probably about 155 finished. Wow. Okay. So um, 155,000 square feet about, right? I cannot even begin to imagine what kind of undertaking that was for not just you, but everybody over there at GM and Chevrolet. But I think that you were a big part 
in making that happen and kind of getting into the nitty-gritty details of what the GM Tech Center looks like. Can you tell us about what that process involved in terms of making that concept a reality? Again, again, you know, as we talked about, the, the series of fortunate events. And so, uh, honestly, it started back in 2019. Uh, Mark Royce, the president of GM, uh, Mr. Hendrick, uh, Richard Childress, Chip Ganassi, they all got together and said, hey, we're not, we're not running like we need to. Uh, it was like first Kansas 2019, and myself, Jeff Andrews from Hendrick, and Tony Lunders from what, uh, Trackhouse, which was Ganassi at the time, we kind of got called to the to the to the bus uh, by the owners, and and they said, "Hey, on Monday, we're all gonna get together, and we're gonna do this GM Motorsports thing. We're gonna bring a lot of engineering together because we're all doing simulation differently. We're all doing these things, and we were all like, okay, sounds like a good idea.' You know, we were starting to work together a little closer, and we were like, "When's this gonna happen?" They were like, uh, "Monday," and we're like, you know, look at each other, and so. We started talking about it, uh, and then we we uh, we were going to you know find a uh, a building to uh, build the Charlotte Technical Center, and so took a while. I think uh, at the time I was on the RCR side, GM I think bought the building, which is now GM Defense, kind of in late 2019, early 2020, and then when COVID hit, uh, GM got the you know, uh, contract to build the ISV uh, GM defense vehicles. And so they needed a place instantly. And so they basically said, okay, this is now going to be the GM defense place. So we kind of lost our, uh, our, our our building. But so then, you know, during 2020, you know, uh, GM and the teams finally, we decided to, to really build GM Motorsports. And so I came to GM to, to build it. And the first thing was to like, okay, now we got to find a, a facility. So we looked all over at different buildings and everything. And then, uh, you know, at the time, the the supply chain was really disrupted. It, there was a lot of issues getting steel and things like that. And, and uh, you know, Mr. Henrik had this building already permitted and had a lot of the, the steel and things. So we could save a long period of time. And uh, let's call it, uh, he made us a deal we couldn't refuse. And so we took the shell of the building and then said, okay, how do we, how do we then lay it out? So all the teams got together, uh, you know, Marshall Carlson at, at Henrik and, and all the teams got together to think, okay, what, what do we need in here to make it work? And, and it really just kind of grew organically with, uh, with um, everybody working all together, what, what we need to put in here. I know I got a limited time with you, but I got a couple more questions specifically on the GM Performance Center, the Technical Center, I know that it's kind of a scratch my back, I'll scratch your relationship, right? Like the race teams get a lot out of it, but GM on the performance side, but also you guys are in the business to sell cars, right? So the consumer and the retail side of things gets a lot of information and positive data from it as well. Which one is more beneficial? You think it's the motorsports and the racing side of things, or is it the consumer side that gets more out of the tech center? Well, G- GM's, uh, GM is building great vehicles right now. And it's the, if you look at all of our market share, it keeps increasing. And we're, we're winning manufacturer championships on the racetrack. Now, some people tell you that we're, we're, we're able to do that because the company is successful. The racing people say we're selling 
a lot of vehicles because we're successful on the racetrack. And sure. So, you know, honestly, it, it uh, at the end of the day, uh, why we race is to is to produce better vehicles. So, I think that it goes both ways. I think uh, you know, we had to establish that, and we are really doing a lot of great things now jointly, but between the production engineering and motorsports and and this tech center helped a lot because it, it helps you know a lot of the virtual technology that i talked about with that simulators and building simulation it's something that is kind of centralized to characterize a car and allowed us to add the staff to build the tools and really demonstrate the technology to the uh, to some of the areas of production so the other thing it did was you know this area it's it's, it's kind of hard to go to a and the oems uh, facility and and really kind of walk in the front door just the unique part of this building you know we kind of built a lobby where you know you know young engineers we do a it's almost a little bit like a race shop where we have a tremendous number of stem events and different things where nice. you know kids from school and different projects can come use the lobbies and, the, and the, it's kind of a unique facility where people from the southeast region can kind of touch and get to know gm because GM's really a technology company. And I think the more we can tell that story to recruit engineers, the best engineers to the company, the better off, you know, the company is. So that was kind of a unique benefit of, of, of how it, how it played out. You know, it was certainly something that was important to us from the beginning, but the uniqueness of the facility really allowed us to, to, I mean, we probably had had a hundred, that's probably more than that, more than a hundred events here, just, STEM events or dealer events or GM leadership board of directors meetings. I mean, the facility is actually a pretty cool, pretty cool place. Multi-purpose as they say in, uh, in this day and age, last thing, and I'll let you run. I know that we mentioned earlier, the goal, right? Is of course to bring home three driver championships, three owner championships to go along with your three manufacturers championships. We'll find out on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, how you guys do in that venture. I'm, I'm going to ask you to put your analyst hat on it as if you don't have enough going on. How do you feel about your guys' chances of doing so in each specific series? You know, I feel, I feel, I feel good about it. You know, I think uh, truck series have been strong. I mean, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like that on those racetracks, uh, we, we've had a lot of strength. I, I feel, honestly, I feel confident in, in – uh, all of it, Carson and uh, Hosevar and Infinger have, you know, been stout. Uh, Xfinity, I feel like we really, uh, last year, you know, Noah and Gregson and Ty Gibbs had a big battle and Ty really uh, had a great performance and won. And, uh, you know, it was one of those that we felt like uh, right towards the end, Noah was coming. Uh, and so, you know, John Hunter's had a really good year and, uh, Xfinity and, and, and so is Cole, but I feel like Justin's really good at Phoenix and Sam's on hot streak. And, uh, yep. so I mean, you know, it's, uh, going to be exciting. And then cup, you know, I mean, if you look at the drivers and, you know, that are in there and, and, uh, Blaney was super fast last year. Uh, but you got Larson, you got William that's been great all year. And then Chris Bell, who was in it last year. It's, uh, I don't know how you pick a, like I said in the beginning, I don't know how you pick a favorite, but, uh, yeah. I'll take my two out of the four uh, any day of the week. So uh, I feel good about the those guys, the strength of Hendrick Motorsports. And, you know, when it comes down to the end of the race, and we saw it a couple of years ago when you got a 
have that pit stop. You got to have that pit call. I wouldn't rather have anybody other than Cliff and Rudy on the on the box and those pit crews. And so, I feel good about the engine power. I mean, it's just a matter of uh, getting it done. Well, for your sake, I hope that we're talking about Chevy sweeping another podium weekend uh, at Phoenix Raceway. I lied. Last, last thing. We're recording this on Halloween. What is the Warren household candy of choice when trick-or-treaters will come to the door? Um, you know, and uh, we're not a candy corn. We're uh, we're definitely chocolate. I'm an Almond Joy. And, yeah, my wife really? You like candy. Almond Joys? I love Almond Joy. They're oh, great. my yeah. God, Dr. Warren. Come on yeah, now. That's like the one everybody doesn't like. Yeah, we're a chocolate crowd. No, Almond Joy is great. Those things are awesome. I actually I, when I was great. younger, I would eat the the thousand uh hundred grand bars, but yep. after a while they pull your teeth out and you get older, you can't quite do it. So <laughs> fair enough. Well, Dr. Warren, I uh, I think I am accurate in saying we've had a lot of people on this show. You as a literal rocket scientist are probably the smartest one I've ever had. So I appreciate you dealing with my stupidity with some of my questions, but I understand a lot more and I appreciate you carving out some time. I know it's a busy week for you, busy time. Best luck to you and Chevrolet this weekend and trying to get her done. Yeah, great. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. And we are back. I meant what I said and I said what I meant. I, uh, I truly believe that. Thank you so much to Dr. Warren for carving out some time out of his busy, busy schedule this week, which I'm sure is always busy, to uh, chat with this old hag. And uh, shout out to my girl Dana as well of Chevrolet Racing for reaching out and helping coordinate that conversation. Always a pleasure to work with you, Dana. Looking forward to doing it again soon. And like I said, best of luck to you, Dr. Warren, this weekend at Phoenix Raceway to bring home some more checkered flags, trophies, and victories and championships for GM and for Chevy. Tell you what, though, Chevy did not bring home the checkered flag and trophy this weekend at Martinsville, at least on Sunday. That was Ford and Ryan Blaney Woo, from the high laney, as uh, Sammy says on TMD. He put a whooping on him. Huh? We knew going in he was going to be good. Had the best average finish at Martinsville out of all the playoff guys for his entire career and in the next-gen era. Started right outside the top 10, but finished second in stage one, one stage two, had 19 stage points going into the final 140 laps, 240 laps, excuse me, after he was already plus 10 on the cut line heading into the race. So he was sitting pretty. He was just kind of racing the 24 of William Byron points-wise. But he said, I don't care about all that. I'm here to win. I want a clock. Tick-tock, baby. And uh, he got a clock, man. He definitely earned that one. I would venture to say probably the biggest win of Ryan Blaney's career the most dominant win of his career, the best race that he has driven in his career. Can say the same for Jonathan Hassler in terms of how he set up the car, how he called the race. Can say the same for the 12 pit crew and how they executed time after time after time. And lo and behold, Ryan Blaney, the guy who did not get a top five for months after that win at the Coke 600, has gotten hot at the exact right time. He and the 12 team are on to Phoenix and they are locked into the championship four for the first time in Ryan's career, by the way. Joining him, obviously we knew it was going to be Christopher Bell thanks to his Homestead win. We knew it was going to be Kyle Larson thanks to his Las Vegas win. And the fourth and final spot belongs to his brother-in-law, not really, even though he said it, <laughs> William Byron. He gets in by a handful of points over Denny Hamlin, even though Byron had probably his 
most uncharacteristic and worst day of the season in terms of just raw speed and handling of the car at Martinsville. But 2014 did what they do pretty well, and that's fight. They scratched and clawed and wound up coming home inside the top 15 with a few points to spare over Denny Hamlin, who is eliminated and does not make the championship four for the second consecutive year. Unfortunately for DH in the 11th faithful. I mean, he said it pretty well on his podcast this week and also just after the race to various different reporters and media outlets. They don't have a mechanical failure at Homestead, and they're probably in the championship four. It's just kind of as simple as that. Martin Truex Jr., regular season champion, had a dismal playoffs. He does not advance. Was in an okay spot to maybe do it and maybe contend after winning the pole for the second straight week, but pit road speeding penalty, unforced error. We know how important track position is at short tracks and how difficult it is to pass, and uh, we saw that bear its ugly head when Martin was trying to come back through the field. He unfortunately was not able to do so in the way that he needed to, and he is also eliminated. Chris Buescher and Tyler Reddick, non-factors all day. Buescher needed to win. Reddick probably needed some help. They did not win. They did not get help, so they are also eliminated. I will say, though, I'd venture to say that the four drivers right now are probably the best that are running right now in the Cup Series. I would argue that the 11 of Denny Hamlin is running better in total when you look at the big picture of the playoffs and the season than the 20 is. But I don't know, last time I checked, the 20 won a race last week, and uh, the 11 didn't. So I maybe I just talked myself out of that statement. Blaney's hot. Larson is good everywhere. Byron has been the most consistent driver all year, probably, with Denny Hamlin and has the most wins. And then you got Christopher Bell, who all he does is win when it's clutch. So, again, I'd venture to say that the four drivers you have right now are the four, if not four of the top five best drivers in the Cup Series right now. So, don't say that this championship four format is Mickey Mouse and, you know, you can just get hot at the right time and make it. Well, That's true, but they also are the best cars and the best drivers and the best teams that are performing at the best at the most important time. The format's the same for everyone. The races are the same for everyone. You could have been good late in the year and bad early. You could have been good early and bad late. It doesn't matter because we got four drivers left, one race left, a championship on the line, and that will happen at Phoenix Raceway. So let's preview it. What do you say? We got the Cup Series on Sunday, the Xfinity Series on Saturday, the Truck Series on Friday, the Arkham Menard Series West also capping off their season this upcoming championship weekend out there in the Valley of the Sun in Avondale, Arizona. Justin Allgaier, he wins a wild, wild Xfinity Series race at Martinsville to vault himself into the championship four alongside teammate Sam Mayer. John Hunter Nemechek and Cole Custer backwards, wrecked, and on fire, crossing the finish line to get in. And in the truck series, who did not race this past weekend at Martinsville, which, by the way, why not? Let's make that happen uh, next year moving forward, please. Carson Hosevar, Corey Heim, Grant Enfinger, and former series champion who proceeded to get absolutely inebriated after the race. Hope we see that again. Ben Rhodes. So let's go through all three national series and kind of handicap things real quick. Corey Heim in the truck series has been the class of the field all season long. It's been Heim time more times than I can count. 
Um, Grant Enfinger, he's with GMS Racing. They are ceasing operations at the end of the season, and he's looking for a ride for next year. We don't know if he has one for sure, but he obviously has come very close to winning a championship before. I think that would be a really cool story and a really worthwhile way to end GMS Racing's tenure and go out as champions. Carson Hosevar, he's ending his Nice Motorsports full-time tenure, moving up to Cup next year with Spire Motorsports. And Ben Rhodes, he's been there, done that. His crew chief, Rich Luscious, reunited again. He made a really good call at Homestead to stay out and try to stretch the fuel. They did so and got into the championship four via a tiebreaker over defending champ Zane Smith. So handicapping those four, I would say Heim probably is the favorite on speed. But again, you never know. What may happen? Let's move on to the Xfinity Series. No RCR drivers are in the championship four, which uh, Andy Petrie let Sheldon Creed know, and uh, Austin Hill let Jeff Stankwitz know that they were not happy about it, and Richard Childress let Dustin Long know that Sheldon Creed's the dumbest driver that he's ever had at RCR. lot to unpack there. Uh, maybe we can talk about that at a different time. We have talked about it at nauseum this week on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, but short and sweet, I think RCR looks awesome awful PR wise and that's coming from a guy who just spent the whole day there on Friday loves the people there loves the campus there had a great time at fan day but I think they would even tell you from RC to Andy down that could have been handled better I totally understand emotions are high everybody's mad you had the chance to send both your cars to the championship for in 150 yards give or take and you get neither of them in because both of their drivers were racing hard. And you can argue Sheldon was at fault. You can argue Austin was at fault. You could argue nobody was at fault. I probably would say that one. But bottom line is they got nobody there, and they are uh, not too happy about it. Justin Allgaier is there. Sam Mayer is there. John Hunter Nemechek's there. And Cole Custer is there as well. I think Justin Allgaier probably has the upper hand because not only is he hot, but he's really good. At Phoenix, And I think that would be one of, if not the best stories that emerges from the entire weekend, championship weekend, is if Justin Allgaier was able to win the Xfinity Series championship that has eluded him for several years at this point. I think that would be a really cool story. Sam Mayer seems to have cleaned up his act and got things together. He was wrecking a lot of stuff and pissing a lot of people off earlier in the summer and last year, but he's now won on a road course three times and now an oval doing so at home said Miami Speedway. We'll see how he can do at Phoenix. John Hunter, he has his plans for next year, moving up to Cup with Legacy Motor Club, but looking to end his Toyota tenure with Joe Gibbs Racing with a bang and a championship. And Cole Custer, who obviously has something to prove. Uh, demotion, I don't know if that's the right word, but going down to Xfinity from the Cup Series last year, and he has won a handful of races this year and now has a chance to run for a championship. So we'll see how those things shake out. And then, obviously, the Cup Series, as we talked about. Christopher Bell, William Byron, Kyle Larson, and Ryan Blaney. I I know we kind of say it every year, but I feel like this Championship 4 is so evenly matched. right? You got Blaney, who is really, really hot right now, coming off of a great run at Martinsville, and the round of eight was incredible for him. Bell is getting hot when it matters the most as well. Kyle Larson is good everywhere, won a championship at Phoenix a couple years ago. And, of course, Willie B., who powered through a bad day at Martinsville but now lives to fight another day and has the best pit crew all year, by the way. We know, and I've said it before on the show, that Phoenix kind of typically comes down to a pit stop at the end and who is able to get out first, whether it's a four-tire stop, strategy call, whatever. 
the 24 team, they have been lights out all year long. And I see no reason why that would change now. The 20 team, who was the 54 team, who won the pit crew competition at North Wilkesboro, they've kind of cleaned up their stuff after a, a rough start to the playoffs. And the 5 team and the 12 team, they're not bad at all either. So I think that the pit stop may come into play. And I know that, again, we all say it does come down to that final pit stop. Usually, yes, but it could go green to the end. You don't know what's going to happen. I think that on paper, you probably would give the edge to Larson because he has won at Phoenix before. Cliff Daniels, the five team, they have brought the most speed probably in the playoffs as a whole. But I'm telling you, I'm leaning Blaney. I really am. And I think I was maybe leaning Bell last year because he kind of came in with the hot hand winning at Martinsville and Blaney did the same thing. But I think there's something to be said for that. I really do. And by the way, I know his teammate won the championship in the race last year in Joey Logano, but Blaney finished second in this race last year and he could have, should have, and would have probably passed him and won if he wasn't the teammate that he is. So going off a of past experience in the next gen car, at the track in general, and just what have you done for me lately? I'm feeling a little YRB action, so I'll make my unofficial picks right here, right now. Truck Series, I will take Corey Heim to continue his Heim time and winning ways and win the championship. Xfinity, I'm going to take Justin Allgaier to complete that really cool full circle story. And in the Cup Series, I think it's going to be Ryan Blaney winning his first career NASCAR Cup Series championship. Good news is for us, we get to watch it all unfold together. Friday for trucks, Saturday for Xfinity, Sunday for Cup, Fox Sports, and NBC Sports, your destinations on television. Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90, your destination for listening on the radio, as well as the Motor Racing Network. I cannot wait, and I know you can't either. And that'll wrap things up for this week's edition of Victory Lane, episode 208, My Party People. As of this recording, getting ready to go wheels up to Phoenix in a little bit. By the time you're listening to this, I probably am already in the air or I'm on the ground out there in Arizona. Looking forward to being on site with some of my SiriusXM compadres. Dom's out there. Maz is going to be out there. Aggie's going to be out there. I think Mama Trout is going to be out there. Moody's going to be out there. Who the heck else? I don't know is going to be out there, but it's going to be fun to hang out with everybody, see everybody. And um, I'm glad I was able to see a lot of you guys at Martinsville as well. A couple people said... They listen to the pod, so thank you for that. Still a uh, thrill and a treat for me when I hear people out in the wild say that they listen to this damn show. Uh, so if you're in Phoenix and you're listening to this, say hi to me as well. Hopefully I'll be able to catch up with you guys and spend some time and chit-chat. Again, NBC Sports, Fox Sports, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio are your destinations for all the action this weekend if you can't be there in person at Phoenix Raceway where we will crown three NASCAR National Series champions. Looking forward to it, everybody. One to go, 35 down, and one is left on the docket. All the marbles out there for the taking. I cannot wait to see how it all plays out, and I cannot wait to talk to you all about it right here next week. Talk to you then, party people. Enjoy championship week.